You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at OklahomaHOF.com and definitely on Instagram at OklahomaHOF. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode in Oklahoma City today to talk to you about plastic. Um, it will be interesting, I promise. Uh, Sharina Perry's with me from Utopia Plastics. And, I mean, just fascinating business. And I heard you speak at the downtown club and just said, well, we've got to hear more of this story. So thank you so much for coming down. I'm really excited to to dive into that story and how it comes around and, and how you, you know, your company is based in Oklahoma City and, and of all the cities in the in, in the states. I'm excited to find out why Oklahoma City and, and the farms that you have here and stuff like that. But before we get into all that stuff, tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up, born and raised, and, and kind of what was um, your interest as a, as a young age? Um, well, I was born and raised in Hobbs, New Mexico. Um, we moved to Oklahoma when I was 14. My dad worked for Texaco, and so he came here. He was His job transferred him here, and subsequently I spent high school, college, and started my career in entrepreneurship here in Oklahoma. Yeah, and so, so when you come here in, uh, at 14, was it, oh, I got to move, dad's moving again, or was it kind of, oh, I'm excited, this is something new? That was the first time that we had moved. Um, I think at 14 to move is a challenge in and of itself. I think just as a teenager, you're really coming in to know who you are to a degree. And moving to Oklahoma was very different um, because we were we moved here. And for a period of time, we lived in Maysville for that summer. Uh And that was a complete culture shock from what we were used to. And at the end of that summer, we ended up moving to Norman. um, And that's essentially where we stayed. Um, There appeared to be more diversity, even though it was still very different from Mm -hmm. what we knew in New Mexico. It was more diverse than Maysville. So so coming here then, so you moved to Norman is obviously a little different from growing up in New Mexico. Uh, and Hobbs, New, Ma- New Mexico, specifically, is not a very big town. Um, most people, like my experience, is driving through it, right? That's a lot of people's experience. But so you were around kind of the oil field industry growing up and were very familiar with the oil field industry because right? of dad's work for Texaco. Yeah, my dad was actually involved in safety and he worked just outside of Hobbs at a plant called Buckeye. And I think my dad had actually, from the time he came out of Vietnam, worked for Texaco. So that was all we knew was that our dad, he didn't actually work out necessarily in the field. He worked at the plant itself and being over safety. Um, But my dad, he didn't, I knew safety. I knew one of the things that struck me that stood out was an incident that happened where um, once we were in Oklahoma, um, happened at a well site or um, a drilling site and someone lost their lives and I remember how my dad that was probably the first time 
it was ever really discussed how important safety was mm-hmm. in that space. Yeah. Um, so you go to high school then, middle school, high school in Norman. Do you go to university in Norman as well or did you go out yes, of state? I went to Oklahoma, yeah. I mean OU. I actually um, had a um, full-ride scholarship to Howard yeah. University. I was interested in international relations, but my mom didn't want me to go to school outside of the state. So yeah. I stayed and went to OU. That's fair. I'm sure you got, I mean, my mom didn't want me to leave the country and she had a lot of problems with me leaving, but she, she finally let me go. So, um, and I definitely appreciated that, but there's certain things to living close to university, right? You can go home on the weekends, have mom do your laundry and, and that, you know, all of the good things about having family close. Um, what was your interest then in high school? Like, do you think, do you know in high school, I'm going to go to university to do a certain subject? I was interested in international relations okay. and there wasn't a program at OU yeah. around that. Um, but when I was in that, but that was kind of something that I wanted to do from younger before. Mm-hmm. I really liked examining and understanding how government interacted with people. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to be in spaces that I could understand and examine communities and movement and how, um, how people were impacted by decisions by government. Yeah. That mattered to me. And so... That was my interest. I will say through high school and even into college, I didn't really engage too much the experience in and of itself. I think because moving to Oklahoma, I was essentially, you know, in this different place and really having to look at who Sharina was, who, what mattered to her, because this was all different for me. I wasn't the S also the culture in Oklahoma at that time. You understand it was very to me what appeared to be clicky mm-hmm. and it wasn't about race or it was just people had a tendency to settle into the familiar and I didn't see the diverse and the embracing of different cultural experiences like existed in New Mexico. And so that was very, very different for me. Yeah. Was that kind of the reason you wanted to go out of state then to go to Howard University? It wasn't. um, I wanted to go there because of the program and examine the program and the offering. Also the fact that it was in the D.C. area and it would what, what I felt like was position me. Yeah. Um, but I think because I did not get to go there, that um, staying in Oklahoma, going through college was like, just go and get out. Yeah. Going through the motions and then I can get out and I can do my thing and, and yeah. chase my dream that I want. And so when you graduated, did you think I want to get as far away from this state as possible or did you dive into a business? That well, it was really- interesting. I took a job when I was in college and, you know, needing income and I started working for someone and um, taking that job, it was I was managing an office. He actually had a pest control company at that time. And it was seasonal. And so, but it was working with him. They were young. He kind of liked business ideas. We would talk about different business ideas. It was there that I understood that I had the ability to kind of create 
these um, things by paying attention to what was happening. So I worked with him then to take his seasonal business to a year-round business and develop a company and a model that actually helped change the positioning of their lives, um, him and his family. And so that, doing that, walking through that process and developing the model um, really helped me see a lot of things. And then as a result of working with him, you know, we went through so many different things. We tapped into so many different industries. You'd come in with this new idea and it kind of became this thing that I would say he has the Midas touch, but I turn it to gold. So he throws an idea out there. I build the infrastructure and systems around it. And um, ultimately that led to a pretty good relationship in and what it gave me for access to people. Yeah. But when I was in, um, I went through Tomorrow's Leaders Program when I was in um, mid-high. And so that gave me the opportunity to see in that, I shadowed um, someone with a bank. So as they were going through a merger and acquisition. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me another exposure. And it ultimately led to this thing where I wanted to touch as many things as possible. And in college, I remember thinking how great it would be to work for a temp agency. And I asked the temp agency then, please put me in as many different jobs as possible. And I don't want to spend more than a week there. But when I would go to work for the temp agency and go to work for the entity the temp agency sent me to, they would ultimately ask me to become an employee. And um, I realized that I had skills that companies could quickly identify that they would want in a worker. And that, to me, kind of drove me even more. So I developed this thing. If I like anything long enough past a year, that I'm likely going to stick to it because it's or caught my interest. Yeah. And that's the kind of the model I adapted. That's into. fascinating because so much education and just like, I mean, I wish just what you've said there, I wish every kid in school could do that. Right. Because kids go to school, they have no idea what they want to do. I mean, they, they might be 30 years old and they still don't know what they want to do. And then they're stuck and they have kids and then they're in a job they don't like. By doing that, like you said, you figure out so many different things and you learn so much. And, and because I gather your your love is infrastructure and systems, not generally entrepreneurship. It's the systems around business that really make you tick. Um, well, I don't like necessarily the idea of just starting and doing something just to be doing it. Yeah, it is really kind of you're in a you enter into a system, and what is it that drives that? Um, then also understanding. How are you paying attention to the shifts, the pivots? And I think that that is part of still connects back to my interest in international relations, even where I am now, because understanding how things interact, how things are impacted and honestly creating solutions was probably more of the joy that I have in actually solutions because solutions become pretty easy are pretty easy for me. I am very frustrated by people that dwell in problems. It's like, why are you recycling that over and over again? Um, If your result is to solve it, Mm -hmm. then let's get to it. 
Yeah, it's and and that reason must frustrate you to no end on days because you just you walk into a room and you're just like, guys, the problem's right here, the solution's right here, let's fix it. Rather than, oh, it's you know because some I'm sure you've been in rooms where you're like, no, let's just keep it the way it is because it's working the way it's working, but it's not working to the level that it could be working. Like, for example, the pest control business you worked in, like, why don't we do this all year round? There's other business models. You, right. Do so you have a product. He yeah. literally had a product that would take care of people's pests all year, but he was treating one pest. Uh-huh. And so, but you're limiting it. You're treating people and giving them the benefit of the year. Yeah. So why not put them on a monthly program? Uh-huh. You're able to charge more revenue. You put them on a monthly program, and then they call you when they have an issue, which allows you to have year-round revenue. Yeah. Like, to me, that was a no-brainer as far as, because you already have a solution right. for what people are calling other companies to satisfy. Yeah. And to watch that, um, even building this whole you know, like you could predict the payments that are coming in. You could, you, it's it almost, you weren't so reactive to um, just the seasonal calls. Yeah. Um, but that was, also it was, I could um, use my skills. And when we moved into the space of the satellite industry, I remember he called me and we're sitting in the car and he says, hey, I have this idea. Do you think we can sell it? I took it home, and in two hours, I sold 14. And I came back, and I said, yes, it can be done. Um, and at the time, he was doing like 25 a week. So in two hours, when I sell 14, I had developed, I listened to what people were telling me and developed, okay, these are the concerns among these people. When we satisfy this need, we can capture that market but how we break it up to reach the market in the most effective way um, is how we build out our sales channel and the process to get there to the end result. And it allowed us to scale very quickly within a few months. um, I took what he was doing at 25 a week and where we were at 400 a week. And then within two months after that, we were in Dallas, not only in Oklahoma, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, Houston. We had expanded. And then a few months, we were the largest retailer in the country. And it was really based on this model. By just figuring out how do you know, this is what people need. These are all the items and the ingredients. How do we make the pie and make sure that everyone else wants a bite of it? Because it's exactly what they need and solves all their problems. Right. And then the thing about that, though, a lot of times what people don't do is they get in that and they see the success of that thing that's occurring right now. And they don't think about, well, they think about it running out, but they don't think about the need to pivot. So when you hear as a business owner, when you hear people calling you saying asking if you have something then that tells you that's the demand when you hear it that is a demand building and creating and when you identify there's not a solution in the market for that right now the reason people are calling asking it because that when people call and ask that means they haven't found right so now you can create the solution for the market and your audience is going to come to you. 
Yeah. Which is what we did with Utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all, uh, all of this time, like, you know, you've clearly figured out what you want to do and, and you go through the, the temp stage and you obviously find a place where you stay out for a year and then this is what happens. You start satellite industry for a perfect example. When do you get tired of working for somebody else and think, I'm doing this for somebody else. I could go out and work for myself and make a greater impact. Like, how does that come around? So my launch into entrepreneurship really wasn't by choice. I actually saw myself as the person behind the scenes making it happen. There is a sense of security that comes with working for someone. But the reality is, is when you work for someone that is kind of that entrepreneur constantly always wanting to do something maybe there's not as much security as you think. Mm -hmm. And you're, for me, I thought if I worked harder, that it would create this longevity. And so the owner that I worked for at that time had kind of gotten his wealth position to where he wanted. And one day he came in and said, I'm done. He really didn't see the industry pivoting. Mm -hmm. And that left a lot of people without jobs. So what that taught me then is as hard as you can work as an employee, the dedication that you give because you feel like you're building a future is still really at the hands of someone else and the decision that they decide they need to make for their family. So there was a lesson learned then. And In that, that was probably one of the biggest challenges and lessons, but it, I took it on to try to do it and start the business myself. And then one day I had a friend that came to me and um, that said, what would it take really for you to expand it and do it on your own? I watched you, essentially the person watched me build it, but that person also knew how to do good business. I had actually worked for him when I was in college. He used to, he owned a hearing aid center and he would tell me that he really had seen no one like me. He um, actually, I was the first time I heard the expression, you could sell ice to an Eskimo, (laughs) but, um, and you could make people really feel good about their decision. But the reason is, is because I felt like what, I was giving them was a real solution. And if you listen to what people need, you can, then people will build a trust in you. They'll build, but remain educated and don't just speak truth to people because people can also hear why something isn't a good idea. And I learned to always educate people in the process of whatever I was giving them. This is the reason this is the choice that I believe um, you should make and be willing to also say if what you have is good enough and you realize, feel it, like it is a solution, you don't have to talk about and broadcast the negatives of someone else if there's true value in what you have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think probably, and you look, you probably look at businesses all across the world now and just think if only they educated their customers, because that's probably one of the biggest reasons that people don't buy a product is like lack of education. They're uncertain. Like, ah, oh, I'll just choose this one instead. Cause somebody said, or I had a recommendation saying it was better, but it wasn't cause you didn't, the company doesn't educate you and tell you 
the main reasons why. People are, I understand that people are reactive. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, people want people to bring a solution to them or they're reactive at the point where they have no other choice, mm-hmm. right? Um, to be in a position where you're proactive, especially the industry that we're in, it requires often some proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, there's a challenge there at times, but I do feel like that I'm in a position to educate people, but I want to be a good steward of that. Sometimes the process can be frustrating. Um, it can be frustrating to people who just want an end result. Yeah. Um, it could be frustrating to people for different reasons. But I learned to appreciate the process, but also what I'm learning yeah. through the process of the education. Yeah. So moving to Utopia then, Utopia Plastics, how does that originally come around? But also, I mean, it's very, you know, it's very ecological. I think if that's the right word to use, it's very green. It's going to save, you know, it's plant-based, right? It does a lot of good for the planet. Over your kind of what we've just talked about, I haven't mentioned being, you know, I guess an eco-friendly human or, I mean, I'm sure you'd live that, but it doesn't, it doesn't jump out at me from a young age. So how do we kind of transition into, I love making an impact. I love making a difference that also ties into saving the planet and then starting a Utopia Plastics business. So when I was younger, Utopia was the world I created. So Utopia was really imagining if we did things God's way. I think that was why the international relations, it sure. was how do, we, how do we fix things? How do we make sure people are not hungry? And I know yeah. as a child, World problems, if you have a heart, are a big deal. And I can even see that today when I'm able to meet young people, to be in a room, to have young people talk about what concerns them, it is always bigger than themselves. I mean, they may be with their parents, they want this individual thing, but when they're in a group and really speaking to what matters to them, it's bigger. So I think there's something in us as young people that cares and the systems we start to move into as we encounter certain things put us into these boxes. And so then we learn to operate in that box and come into conflict with certain things. So it was that inside of me. Utopia was my world, and in Utopia, everything worked. And Utopia, we did it because we did it God's way. That's how we were able to fix things. So fast forward to um, this. My nephew was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis, too. I've shared that. And that took me to start studying plant material. Okay. And it was a studying of plant material as a solution for tumors that opened my eyes and broadened my lens to see plants and reading these articles. I mean, I would be up hours, nights. I mean, I was diving full in. And I began I de- began to develop formulas for um, products. And as a result of my efforts, because people have known me for, I had people that were therapists in the medical field, chemists, science, all sa- scientists, all say, 
How can we help you? I even had one person that was when I started looking at what products would work as far as if different things, he said, well, why don't you do some thermal imaging and come in and I'll put these products and compare them so you could actually see yeah. what would work. So that was the first time I'm literally seeing inflammation reduced in the body. And so then I had, it was really, I think people saw my passion and would bring people to the table or make introductions. And I met chemists and um, scientists that came and we, I talked about some of the formulas that I had studied and thought would work. And they were, I remember one, we're sitting at this round table and they're like, where did you come up with that to put it together? And I, I expressed to them where it came and it was from studying and what made, it would kind of just be this click of what made sense to, to me. But in the process of studying plants, I also learned that they could be an alternative to petroleum, cotton, and wood, which are major resources that yeah. materials are made of. And so that was all just like things in my head. I was studying all of these plants, their properties, and I often use the expression that I think there's a point where vision, experience, and education come together and you find purpose. And that, to me, that my vision of a utopia, my experience in entrepreneurship, my education in studying, and education is also tied to experience, led me to really kind of the aha of purpose. And now I can look back and see how all the things in my life were really building me to my today. Yeah. What timeline is this? Kind of when, when does this start? When does, um, you know, when, when do you start getting educated about it? And, and I mean, this... So that was in 2018, early okay. 2018. And then I had a business associate that I had actually through the process kind of been telling him about this utopia thing. Yeah. Like, and so when I said I was going to do this health and wellness line, I said, I'm going to call it utopia. And he said, it absolutely makes sense. That's what you talk about. Right. And so, um, I said, well, you know, I, I gave him the vision. I said, I have in my head what the company logo is going to be. I have in my head, I mean, because all of this was what I had done as a young girl. So if I'm going to find a solution around health and wellness and really helping people, yeah. and I'm going to be using plants, it had to come from what God created. And that was utopia. And yeah. so I developed utopia utopia wellness and then it was like understanding like I was reading all these articles will be placed in front of me as I'm reading news information and I'm seeing this global information that's happening around plastics and the plastic waste these bans and things like that as I'm working on the health and wellness and understanding what laws and what plants are used in other countries, oh. I'm understanding what's also challenged or plaguing other countries. And I'm like, well, this plastic thing is really serious. And then I saw an article in the New York Times that Starbucks had said they were doing away with single-use plastics. And that was like information that I had, but it was sitting over here 
on a shelf. It it wasn't, um, and I would see articles how people would do de- things with plants, but then I'd go try to find, like, did anything really exist? Even though USDA determined that plants could be used as an alternative for petroleum, cotton, and wood, there's all these white papers. Yeah. Where are the outcomes? Where is the, and it would, it would just images. It was just ideas. Yeah. But it had never really been incorporated in in any way that was where we knew of it as a solution. And I always figured that was because ultimately the products that are out there in the masses, the industries control the narrative of what we see. Right. So that was all 2018. And then there was a moment when I was in McNelly's in later 2018 that I got a paper straw, McNeely's. Yeah. Um, not here, far here from in here. Midtown? Yeah, yeah, here in Midtown. Yeah, yeah. I was actually at a meeting. Yeah. And um, at that meeting, we were talking about the health and wellness product and or preparing to talk about the health and wellness products. And I got a paper straw and particles started floating in my cup. And I was pretty grossed out. And I was like, how in the world are we now okay with particles? By the way, how long is this going to take to digest in my stomach with these right. particles if I drink yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, just I couldn't do anything with this paper straw. It's breaking down. I pick my teeth with my straw <laughs> at times afterward, depending on what I eat. And yeah. But it was not just that. It's, I remember telling the partner that I was with, I'm like, um, I'm going to make a straw. But then I'm telling him why... I am because at that moment, all of the things that I saw, like um, if we shift to paper straws, aren't we going to be cutting down trees? And don't we have a issue of climate? And then if we what are we doing for future generations? But today, Mm -hmm. straws and Plastics are a major industry, single-use plastics. So what are we going to do about how it affects jobs, companies that have to modify equipment if we um, switch, consumer habits? Have we addressed that issue? And so I said to him, I really think that if I can use plants and we grow them, And it creates an opportunity for farmers. And then now a farmer can make the materials or grow the crop. Manufacturers would use that. Then the same process, just like you're making at that time, I said paper, and they could use it and we could get a straw and we don't have to cut down trees. Um, okay, so that'll work for the paper company. But what about the plastic? So if I could figure out how to use this as a plastic, then we could create the same solution. So I'm going to make a straw in my kitchen. I'll make a straw. And well, actually, I said I'll make a straw. And he I remember him laughing like how. And but the thing is, is that he was still kind of supportive because one day he shows up with a form for me to make my straw with, like how to wrap my paper once I got to the point of it. And I really 
like, I think because people know I will pursue things. Um, so they, um, my daughter, I was calling her, like, what do we, what do I put this in? Like, once I make this straw, how do I code it? What do I do? And so um, we put beeswax and paraffin because they were food contact items. Yeah. And I used the plant material, made this straw. And to my surprise, I did it and they're recording it. I'm, I'm telling them to record it. And I don't know at this time, I don't see this business or any of this. I'm just seeing that I can create a solution and it'd be kind of cool to do it. Yeah. Well, the straw hardened that day in my cold liquid and it worked. And then when I hardened, I took it over to my pot of beeswax and I boiled it and I got it up to 340 degrees and the straw didn't break down. And I was like, wow, wow, this like really works. Yeah. So I remember that night, um, I spent the rest of that evening sitting at my kitchen table. Just now what do I do with what I have? You know, right. It was like, um, how do you, because I've been an entrepreneur do you just take something you just figured out and let it sh sit on the shelf and do nothing and know you've created a solution that works? But the worst case scenario is you do nothing. Yeah. So my choice was to do something. And so reached out to, um, there was a company that was interviewed at time. There was a group that I thought we would work with that had come and had known that I was, we had want, gone to this, this expo and the group knew what I was planning to do. I was focused on this health and wellness and this space of using it for alternative materials. And they said, well, we can help you. So um, arranged to reach out to the company that was interviewed in the article in the New York Times about, um, the product. Yeah. Well, so I took this straw that I had made, this home straw, and most people would probably think, wow, because <laughs> I think back now and I, but I packaged all the raw materials that come from the plant and put it together. And I had this kit and bought this box from Hobby Lobby. I mean, this is like literally now that I think about it, but I put information to educate yeah. in it. I, had some brochures made to kind of explain what I had done and put it in front of, they put it in, we put it in front of the owner of the company that had been interviewed and they deal in bamboo. So he said, if we could figure out how to get it commercialized, it'd been the best thing he'd seen in 12 years. Yeah. Well, that's a driver, right? 100%, that, yeah. That's somebody telling you that it'll probably, it will work. Yeah. So reached out to the company that made the straw at McNelly's. Now, of course, that's that's broad, right? Right. And um, essentially, the pitch wasn't to um, wasn't to like take over your straw. It was you can be instrumental and you could be the hero. And it was the Aardvark straw, and the company was Hoffmaster, and they had been acquired. They had acquired Aardvark. Um, in 2018, I believe it was in August. So reached out to them and said, if I have the paper made, will you turn it into straws? And we had actually engaged um, 
companies to see if there was buy-in for this idea. That was my first lesson, though, of how you can have an idea and get with the wrong people and they can attempt to move you out and take your idea because they see the opportunity. So that really helped me kind of pay more attention to um, who I was selecting to share what I was doing. But in the process of building it, I was by no means the expert at all. I mean, I had knowledge, but I needed people and I, it gave me a better glimpse into the industry. I mean, I, I must have walked down and explored every path that somebody told me, you should meet this person or you should connect to this person. What I learned to do, though, was listen more intently. And there were people who were, could help me, but they were missing things. So I developed a goal, a strategy, which I had done for my other business before, to go help people find what they needed, find what somebody needed, bring it back to them so they can give you what you needed. Those are mutually beneficial relationships. And so I did a lot of that. And I got deemed the circle back game game was strong. And I tell people that my circle back game is strong. I may engage you now and say, this is what I need. This is what I'm planning to do so I can get information that's needed. And then I'm going to come back to you once I get there. That's where I say the appreciation of the process, because sometimes in the process of that, the person that's too eager or too desperate will take the information that they have and kind of settle that, become discouraged, and then not really be good for it. So sometimes it's important to have the right partner so that, or who you're dealing with, that they understand the process. And so People, I so appreciate the people. I mean, because there are people that were there from the beginning. And I got nicknames through the process. Like, manufacturers got nicknamed the plant lady. I got nicknamed reroute because, like, literally there are people involved with us we're connected to now that absolutely know I'm not going to give up. And um, I'm going to prove the results. And so... That, I made the prototype in my kitchen October in 2019, um, early 2019. um, I had worked with a local manufacturer to kind of develop um, some formulas for um, creating a polymer. I had taken what I thought would work. They had what they thought would work. What they had didn't work. What I thought did work, did work when I took it to the compounder. And so, but even today, even though that didn't work with them, they saw why what I did do does work. And um, it did help me because as I filed for my patent, I would have to include the things that did not work. Um, But fast forward um, the company that made the, they made the um, straw for me, the paper straw, they tested it and it proved to be better and more, um, better performance. And at that time, what I did was I made 100% plant-based straw in my kitchen, but I sent to them paper that was 25% plant and 75% traditional materials 
and 50% plant and 50% traditional materials. Because I wanted to see at what point you could combine these materials and alter the properties, if it would alter the properties in any way. So I was taking a risk a little bit in doing that, but you kind of have to because whenever you introduce something new into a space Mm -hmm. that's been around as long as plastics, cost is a huge factor. That plastics was a higher cost based on the income and um, based on economics then. And over time, Price is driven down as demand increases, supply increases, it drives down the price. So I had to think about what the pricing structure would look like as a business owner in doing it. But in the process of creating a polymer, I learned or in creating a straw, part of the reason it didn't work is I didn't have a compounded pelletized resin. I had the materials, but I needed a stable pelletized resin that um, to create it. And I knew that I would get there at one point. So here I'm trying to press, making this straw, um, but realizing God saw something different. And I give that to God because I saw us pelletizing, but I didn't see it later down the road. But the need to get it pelletized opened us up to being able to use what we had done, not only in straws, but now I had this pelletized compounded resin and a powder formula that could be used in any application. Literally Traditional anything. polymers like are to used. Make the in, mic stand that's in front that's of us. That's exactly like right. Anything. So yeah. anything. Yeah. And that was was what had not occurred with using plant material. Yeah. Plant material has been used in creating polymers, but more so in injection mold, mm-hmm. and it's been in um, low plant loads. So basically a biocomposite where you're combining it and you're altering some of the properties and strengthen it. Yeah. Uh, most commonly automobile companies were using it, um, BMW, Mercedes in their auto parts. They're using different plant materials, but not really advertising that they were using these fibers right. to increase enhance it. So as alternatives were coming out to plastics, there was a look at plants, Mm -hmm. but there were, I think what many were focused on was how do you alter the plant to still make it into a polymer? That's not what, I guess not having a background in chemistry and engineering, I'm not looking at how to alter it. I'm not looking at breaking molecular structure. I'm looking at how do we use the structure of what exists Mm -hmm. and then to create it based on what it has. And so as a result, um, Fast forward in 2020, early 2020, and believe me, there were times, (laughs) there was one time in particular, I thought I had it all done and we were excited and we went to a manufacturer and we used um, it in, um, we we had the compounded material, I had it, but it didn't work. In fact, it kind of blew up in my face because it was literally popping, moisture exploding. This material is burning. It didn't work. And um, at that time, I also saw something about even as you have partners in business and 
you have to, if you believe that something is possible, you have to walk out that path and fix it. In that time, while some were seeing it as not working, what I saw was moisture, abrasion. I saw things that I knew I needed to address. And so it would have been very easy to become discouraged because it did not work in the existing equipment the manufacturer had, which was one of my goals. I didn't want it to. So I went back and sat down and scheduled a day of addressing these issues and with my compounder. And then, you know, we sat down with a gentleman who helped develop the science for one of the major petroleum companies. So I brought the right players to the table to say, you know, I got to fix this. How do we do it? And I think they knew my commitment to fixing it. And so that was November, I believe, September or November of 2019. And in February... I mean, it's kind of like almost, I guess I went, I kind of pulled back because sometimes you got to silence the noise around you as well to um, get to where you need to. And um, I working with them, here I am in the background working and solve it. So then I come back and my team and the folks that are around me and I say, we got it. And of course... I had to talk to people because the people that had, how did you get it? I mean, what what do we know that you, it can really be used? And so after having conversations with some of these seasoned manufacturers and being able to answer the questions that they had in a way, I didn't know what answer they were looking for, but I knew what my answer was, right? Well, all of those proved to be the answer they were looking for. So I sent material to manufacturers, um, and it was really about um, what I was creating because I needed to use it in extrusion with a thin wall, injection mold, thermal forming, blown film. So it was the applications I needed to use it in blow molding. And so I sent the material out and I asked the manufacturers to run it just like they run their normal material. And... um, and report back what they found. Thankfully, every one of them allowed me to be present when they ran it. So I traveled and stood there and was able to answer and see it. But it was the look and the impression on all of their faces when they ran it. And I have pictures of some of it. Like I have one, the straw manufacturer, where it was a big dinosaur bone that it didn't work and it was all burnt up. When the look on his face when it worked the first time when we came back and he was like, wow, you got from here to here. That was a cheering moment for me. And then, you know, when one manufacturer is... They, he showed me what they had been doing with an alternative material and they couldn't get it to work. And he's like, do you mind if I blend yours with mine and see? And to watch him blend 5% of mine with his and it worked, that told me like I'm a, a solution. So then it was, I need you all to combine it from 
my, what I've got, I need you to combine it from 5% to 95% to 90% to what you have, because I need to see how these properties change and alter. And they did. They did that and they reported back and I was able to see it and understand what was required. So ultimately, at the end of the day, that was um, February of 2020. Huh? What's coming next? Right. COVID, yeah. right? And I, we had a marketing, I mean, not, we had a team meeting to go fully in the market on March 16th. Yeah. Couple days late. Well, that day, I think actually. That was it the was, Thunder Day, right? When everyone, was that the Wednesday where everyone left the Thunder Arena, maybe? Yeah. So that day, this. I, restaurants went to 50% occupancy. We yeah. couldn't even go. And there's so many of our team members that own businesses that were getting calls and now they got to shut down. They got to do different things. So it's like, okie dokie. And then on the 19th, I'm on a flight to um, Texas to meet um, for a meeting and the flight's like next to empty. Yeah. And... I'm like, what just happened? And, but the whole time through COVID, you know, we were able to still continue to move forward. Um, but we had to understand here now, the single use space is being impacted. People's businesses are being impacted. Now people aren't dining in. How do they shift to this takeout? So there were industries that I was in that was being impacted. But, you know, it's like I'm still trying to say, well, I have a solution. Right. Right. But you, so then you have to understand and, and wait that out. But come August, we had, we had, I sent off the material because I needed to know stabilization report. And so we got our BPI testing done and it was stable. And at that point, I had a commercialized, I, I remember getting the call, your testing came back. You have a commercialized industrial resin that can be used in the market for all of these applications. Christmas Day. It was Amazing. At that point, it was like, but I don't even know that people around, I, that was kind of like, I had to celebrate that on my own to a degree or with a few people that were closer in because I still was watching while I was celebrating that so many people's businesses were being impacted and people's families were being impacted by COVID and, um, I just kind of also, how can I be for here for you and the other people and in the process and still do business? Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. And um, I also learned some, some trials through that process because um, as I went into, um, like, we went into market and we're working with distributors, we're hiring manufacturers to do certain things. I quickly learned that our narrative could be our distributor's narrative. Right. So if the, our distributor operates in a box of single-use plastics, you become known as the single-use plastics company, and we were way broader than that. So even as we launched in the market, I had to, even though this was a great opportunity, I was seeing some headaches and some challenges of growth and stability there. So we had to pull back and re-examine the right path into market to be exactly who we were, who the right client was, um, how we would approach them or 
how we would satisfy their needs, but also kind of weed out in the process those who were just here to find out what we had done, because remember, that's what I had dealt with years ago, and then those who really were seeking a solution. And honestly, some of those were big players Yeah, that I had to say no. Yes, you're in a world-changing business now, Mm -hmm. right? It hasn't just gone from being in Oklahoma City. This has gone to changing the world and the way the world looks at making plastic. Mm-hmm. And everything we look at is plastic. And then, you know, you talk about disrupting the petroleum industry, which, you know, you're talking about maybe starting world wars if that stuff goes off, right? Because, I mean, we're at that scale of industry. And I can, uh, back to what you said earlier about, you know, we're only told what they want us to hear. That's fact because it controls their income and their industry. And they might not have an industry if something well, like this Well, I up. say this because most people, I am disruptive. Yeah. But I'm not destructive. Because I also understand the benefit of plastics. Right. So remember when I said I came to create a solution? Uh-huh. I didn't come into this space to beat up on plastics. Remember also I said I had examined how you can combine materials mm-hmm. and impact the outcome. So my IP yeah. isn't only creating a polymer with a high plant load. Right. It's also an IP to be able to combine it with traditional fossil fuel polymers mm-hmm. and make them eco-friendly. Yeah. So I can turn a non-recyclable plastic petroleum into 100% recyclable. I can make it degradable. Yeah. I can make it compostable without leaving behind the harmful impacts from what I've done. It's why it was a new technology, yeah. new discovery in what we were able to do. And it was examining and understanding the properties. So I don't get the probably the negative feedback that people think the other thing about how people can control your narrative for instance in the space when we're talking about sustainable materials and what we do with materials examining what's happening around the world like one company may be focused on we want to reduce our carbon footprint another one may be we want biodegradation Another one may be we only want recyclable. There's all the sustainable because they're basing it on what they are familiar with or what they know. Yeah. Ours was broad. So we couldn't go into this box of we're just going to advertise biodegradation or we're going to advertise yeah. only recyclability. We are all of these things. Mm-hmm. And if you... Like I had one distributor that really pressed that they wanted me to be anti-plastic because their campaign was anti-plastic. That's not, that would exclude and it wouldn't be a solution for the plastic companies who needed a solution, which is ultimately who are creating The issue, right? We're a consumer. The reason plastic companies are able to produce their products is because we are consuming them. So we have to decide how are we collectively going to create these solutions. I, as a consumer, had a solution and could enter and have now entered in the space of plastics along there with the manufacturers and in the space of compounded resins, I can now 
work in both, you know? And so for me, I was a solution. I wasn't, remember also what I said about in the beginning, there's all these things about jobs and whether the cost is to modify the equipment. I didn't want a plastic manufacturer to have to modify their equipment. I didn't want people to lose jobs, but I'm going to tell you what this has done. It's created more expanded opportunity. It's caused us to rethink how we use our natural resources and it's broadened the lens. And um, if I've been able to work with inventors now as they're working through the process of developing it, I've been able to have where global companies are introducing our material as their solution. Um, I have been able to really see even how in our model, how we addressed it and how we chose to go into the market, how people are learning from that and seeing why the model we have works. I mean, I built a utopia model along with building businesses to control my supply chain and, um, I don't think there's a better time than for Utopia right now. And we are what is continues to be on our horizon and what I see. Um, I don't get so anxious about it um, because I, I see, you know, I see where plastics is today. And, you know, I'm where I am today. So I can see when I look at a plastic bottle, um, when I look at this bottle of water, when I look at in this room, I know Utopia will be a household name and Utopia's materials will be used. And that as people expand and create new solutions, that um, they're going to green technologies is here to stay and it's advancing. I'm eager to watch it as um, really we get back to imagining kind of if we did it God's way, if we use the natural resources and we're good stewards. Of yeah, it. that's such an exciting, I mean, it, it's, it's exciting and frustrating sometimes, right? Because like you've got to have a lot of patience because you have the keys to the toy chest, right? You're like, these are all the products that we can make. We just need someone, you know, a few yes or no's and we're making every plastic bottle or we're making every i mean you when, when you did the talk with with the downtown club you know you had a you had the plastic bags and then you had the that i mean everybody uses to go knife and forks like everybody you know i don't think anyone cares if it's brown or black the color of it right like because i mean the ones you they were like darker color weren't they and uh, no one's gonna care are they no. they're just gonna you know but 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 a, a business is gonna be you know, they get to say, we get to recycle these. Or when you go home, you don't, you get to, all of that stuff. Like that is the stuff that makes an impact. And that's the stuff that when you come home at night or that moment where you make that straw, you know, you look at all these, that that affirmation from the guy who was in bamboo, like all of these moments. I mean, you would just like sit alone at night and just smile. Like you have so much like gratitude from all <laughs> like those I'm moments. Like I'm smiling right now. Yeah, like you know, you know um, like this is and 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 long after we're gone, this is still going to be here, right? Yeah. This is your legacy. Utopia is your legacy, and I'm um, you know future generations, five six generations down the line, they're going to point to you and be like, you know, yeah. if they even don't point to me, I'm okay, right? Because well, even when if they people, don't know who you when are, when people like, do. 
It's a huge I impact. always say I'm watching God because yeah. I'm paying attention to how things move and shift. And this really, utopia was never about Sharina. Uh-huh. It was about imagining if we did it God's way. I'm grateful that God chose to allow me to be the voice. Mm-hmm. And I think because he knew I would be bold enough and he knew also that um, I was convicted enough to use the gifts that I had. Yeah. But he also knew the experiences that I walked through in life and he watched me walk out those processes yeah. as I run my race and am on my journey. And so when I look back and smile and I see, I shared yesterday um, that one of my, in which it really was, I, I had to learn to, I, I pause and I am in such gratitude. But I remember in May this year, I mean, March, I'm sorry, I'm in Chicago at the Inspired Home Show, which is the largest global houseware show, and all these manufacturers come in to introduce their products. And one of the largest global manufacturers is introducing products made with Utopia Plastics to their global clients. And at that moment, the only thing that I could think about first was the day in my kitchen making the straw. And that I'm standing here with a badge on that says inventor. I never thought, okay, I'm going to be an inventor. But I have this badge on that says inventor and then the Utopia model companies. And how I'm standing here, though, and remember what I talked about in my, when I was younger, and the diversity that mattered to me. And I'm standing here. This is a mainly a, a Japanese-owned company. And it's Iris that I'm there with. And... um there have people from around the world and in their organization there. And they knew who I was when I walked up and how excited they were to use the material. And then to get their feedback from their clients, there was that belief that a farmer could grow a crop to make an item that we use every day was mattering in the world. And that's, that was a, a huge moment uh-huh. for me. But I look at like, you know, so much that I see and there are so many times that it's frustrating. It can be, but I try to not get lost in that. And the, the, because I show up every day to do it, I have more of appreciation for the process. And I think that that's also even a mindset we have to really get into to reduce our frustrations. If we make sure that we surround ourselves with people who are a part of the process, because you you have to be engaged in the process and understand Mm -hmm. to really I could throw out information to you all day long, but you don't become educated about that information until you're willing to hear it and convert it into knowledge yeah. in a way that you can now use that into a develop wisdom yeah. and understanding. And so I really, um, I think the, um, I'd really work to avoid distractions. and I sometimes sit back and I'm just like, the task is big. Mm-hmm. 
but so was it for everyone who made a global impact you know so yeah and 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 to that point like i don't i, I know we've talked a while about you know the business i don't want to miss out the fact of how important this is to the farmers and agriculture as well right because that's a massive industry and you know the fact that they can grow this crops and it can be used literally forever and not have to worry you, know, you can have a farm out there that just grows this crop and, and sustain themselves right they don't have to i mean we've it, all heard the horror stories when it's freezing cold in oklahoma and they're out trying to break ice in the troughs and all that stuff like farming is not an easy business to be no in. it's not and so the crops that we use um remove heavy metals from the soil add nutrients in the soil absorb carbon they don't require pesticides yeah. they're low maintenance they're easy to grow so we're using crops that do good for the land. But in the model, when we're talking about farmers being included, I saw an opportunity for not only agriculture or farming to be able to participate, but there's this disparities for equity. I also had know a lot of people with land. Let's say even for Oklahoma, when we're talking about minorities, at one point, Oklahoma had the largest amount of land ownership by African-Americans in the country. Yeah. And how quickly that reduced. And understanding, too, Oklahoma had Black Wall Street. And how did a lot of these things get built? It was from their understanding of the land and agriculture, making products, um, the government was a major buyer of some of the, the wealth, essentially, that grew. And some of these industries, they learned to sell these crops to industries and make revenue. And so to watch being in a state where there was such an impact to now uh, the state with the most number of small businesses, a true spirit of entrepreneurship, Yet so many people were struggling. And what if now you create an opportunity and at one point there were 52 black towns even. And so my narrative isn't just around the minority element, but I could create an equity that looked more like the population because I controlled the part of the industry or business that this was. So if I'm buying the crop, I mean, I'm providing the seed and buying the crop from the farmer for my client and my business, then I'm controlling that and can continue to create the opportunity. But farming doesn't only create a farmer, doesn't only create opportunity for themselves and a generational opportunity for their family. Farmers tend to spend money in their local communities, which if there's economic growth in those areas, you can now have money pouring into communities and perhaps develop them in ways to to grow that. Yeah. And so that's now true sustainability. People use the word and throw the word sustainable out there all the time. True sustainability is how does what I am doing as a business impact and actually add value to the environment, society, and our economy. If it doesn't actually add value to it, 
and we're just saying we're reducing the amount of materials that we use, we're still consuming more than we're adding value to. So my goal was to be truly sustainable in adding value to the space that I'm in. Hence, the tagline for Utopia. We don't create problems as we solve them. And um, that we are very intentional about our narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and, and I'm sure, like, we could sit here literally all day and tell stories. And I hope that's one thing that, that you and the team do one day is document literally everything you've done. And the website's great, and I'll link that in the description. But obviously, there's only so much you can put on a website. There needs to be a documentary or a movie made of this because it's, it, it's world-changing. Uh, and I just love the the fact that, you know, you're in this for, for, for impact, right? You're, you're in this because it's a God thing. You're in this for, like you just said, it's not a Sharina thing. It's a, you know, it, 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 this is, we can sustain this. And this is, an, uh, you know, back to your love of international relations, right? It, like this is bringing everybody together. You know, when you're at that trade show and you've got an inventor badge on and people are coming up to you and, you know, you've got people from all around the world that they're using, you know, using or, or potentially using this product, I mean, it's fascinating. I have so many questions, but I know we don't have much time. Um, One of the things I do want to touch on, though, is the journey, right? It's only, you know, relatively short amount of time, 2018 to now, you know, and how much you've grown and how much you haven't given up in that period. What Back to kind of like the industry and and the, the naysayers or people going against you, what's some of the most powerful rooms you've been in and... I mean, kind of what gives you that, like, I'm not going to cuss on, on, on the podcast, but that, like, chip on your shoulder that's like, you know, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to show you how it's done, regardless if I'm a, a woman, regardless if I'm an African-American woman. Like, all of these stereotypes that are going against you from if somebody saw a picture of you, but there you're there, you know, and you're like, I've just made this straw in my kitchen. But now, you know, four years later, you are highly respected in this industry. You've had many awards, but like we got super excited five minutes ago, this is just the beginning. What were those kind of moments, you know, the, those big rooms that you're in? And, and I mean, you can name some names if you want, but just, I'm just curious to like, you know, when you sit in that room and you're like, I was in my kitchen, right? Like three or four years ago. You know, it's, it's very interesting to, I love a conversation with a chemist and an engineer. Yeah. Like I, um, when I started this, I knew, and I was already encountering it. That was part of kind of bumping my head in Oklahoma too, because one, Oklahoma didn't have the infrastructure for, to get what I needed done. So I had to go outside of Oklahoma, but trying to press to find it in Oklahoma. And as I would, I remember being in a boardroom in Nichols Hills with some um, investors and uh, some different individuals. And here I have my prototypes and some folks had a performa, but because of who they are, they were what they saw, they saw more value there. It It was helping me see that stereotypes, prejudice, and biases were real. Mm -hmm. But remember, I had already 
my career, I was in the cable and internet space as a government prime contractor. I was the only African-American woman in the space in a male-dominated industry. I had already gone through the challenge as a teenager of coming into a new environment. Do you think I was scared of how people would see me or perceive me? In fact, those experiences taught me to develop systems to navigate through that and not get lost in what people, I knew what I was doing was working because exactly what you said earlier and what I shared, people were already telling me. I remember with my patent attorneys and they said, how do you, how does it feel to reinvent plastic? And they told me I when I was in there and I brought it to them, you really put the big boys to shame with this one. So when you have people that have the skills and the knowledge and expertise, and then when I talk to a chemist and they would say to me, keep going, you're on, you got the right track. And then some would say, I remember being at a rotary meeting and there were several chemists and engineers in the meeting here. And they said, they knew why I needed to not be a chemist because chemistry would think inside of a box. Yeah. It teaches you to look and think at things in a certain box. And my thought was outside of the box. So I wouldn't have seen it if I was a chemist. Right. And, but I have been on, um, in meetings and with some of the largest global players in the world in the plastic space. I remember getting a call from one of the largest additive companies, the CEO in the world, the largest actually additive co company, and he simply said, congratulations. And um, I have been in the room and had the conversation with both those who respected the work that I had done and those who made it very apparent that they did not respect, um, not the work that I'd done, but they, they would press me to prove more than they would ever press my counterpart to prove. And I learned that I don't have to give an answer or fight or battle that with everyone. Because also what I learned in the process of dealing with many of those, they were still so stuck or trapped in the box and the systems, they didn't know how to navigate outside of them. Yeah. I literally had some that the way testing is for even plastics, some couldn't wrap their head around I had literally trademarked, I mean, this is the reality, Utopia Plastics has its own lane and definition of what it is. It is not plastic. So if you don't understand that Utopia Plastics is not plastic, you will never think outside of the box. Right. So what I am saying to you is I created a plant-based material that can be used in plastics applications without you modifying your equipment. So I was in meetings where some were, the light bulb went off and they literally said, 
we now have to rethink how we think about plastics. And I remember someone a long time ago, there's the movie, The Graduate. Yeah. And he says in it, son, I have one word for you for the future. There's going to be a lot of money in it. And he said, plastics. And it was the way he said it. I know he meant plastics, P-L-A-S-T-I-X. So I jokingly say that and I use that because that was like a foreshadow. Yeah. But um, that in this space, I learn to look for, and I tell people, even when a manufacturer reaches out to us, if you're spending more time focused on my IP, mm-hmm then you are using my material in your application, you're the wrong partner. You're telling me what you're doing by creating that demand. People that take our material and use it and understand it, it does not. While it performs, it's clearly even, I've even had people who... With the naked eye, you could clearly see, but that people aren't ref- will refuse to see it. And I'm like, that tells me a whole lot about a lot of things as well. So I just don't stay in the spaces of battling that. Yeah. I um because at the end of the day, I am here. What I have is real. People have followed me. I've shared this journey. If you anybody was on my social media, why I think so many people locally or if yeah. that were in that and as it grew champion for what we were doing is because they saw the whole process. I openly shared it. I did a lot of things. A lot of people didn't. Now, I did create frustration for some people because I chose not to move into the box yeah. or say yes to them from their demand because of their entitlement. Um, There is still a fair amount of whether it's from in the investment world, from I'm a corporation. There's still this thing that people have that sometimes they're just upset that it's not them. Yeah. But you know what? We've always invited people to join us on the journey. But the thing about Utopia and what makes it where everybody is good and everybody is taken care of is because we don't allow that greed, that um, space of I'm entitled, I should own it. The, the people that came to me, you should, why are you letting other companies make the materials with your products? You should do that. No, I shouldn't. I'm focused on, I am a compounded pelletized resin provider. I don't make products. Yeah. I am allowed to be brought that way because that's my business model. So there are people that want your model to be what they want it to be to satisfy their need. So I just look for the right partners. And, you know, I am going to maintain being true to me. And there are people that, I mean, sometimes that's the most daunting part is I I just try not to focus on them because at the end of the day, I've always said this and people that worked for me, life is your race to run. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is you are in your lane. If you focus on the people in the other lanes or that might be in front of you, guess what? 
you don't see if they're tiring out. If you focus on people behind you or what they're doing, you're going to lose your own wind. I stay focused on Sharina's lane. In the process, you know what? I don't have to beat up on anybody else. I don't have to exploit negatives of anybody because the value of what I have is in what I have done. This is my race to run. And ultimately, all I have to do is endure to the end. Yeah. And um, that's what I'm going to keep doing and keep cheering and celebrating on the way and encouraging. This journey is encouraging other people to tap into their why as they're hearing the story and they're walking in the path and tap into their gifts and creating solutions. It's causing the people who are willing to listen, whether I'm a venture capitalist, whether I'm a CEO, whether I'm a community leader, is causing them to listen to how they can change and reimagine how things would be to create opportunity for the others as well as for themselves. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's a great way to finish. There's so much value in that. I think we've sat for an hour and 30 minutes. There's, I mean, this is one I'm probably going to have to re-listen to multiple times. Uh, one thing I'm super excited about, I cannot wait to sit down with you in another 10 years and see how far we've come in 10 years. Because it's going to be a, probably a similar conversation, um, but we'll have a lot more uh, stats and, and real-world examples of you know how far the business has come. And, and it's a pleasure to have you home-based in Oklahoma City. I'm sure you love living here. Um, but for people listening, I will put the links to Utopia Plastics in the, in the description for this podcast. Uh, and last question, because I'm just kind of fascinated with stuff this takes you away from the business other than what do you do for fun whenever you do get to a point and maybe you've had to this point where you think i'm going to go out and i'm going to treat sharina what is the first thing that you go and treat yourself with is it a vacation is it a watch like i love cars is it a car like what is your first like you know what i i'm going to treat myself things aren't a big deal to me but yeah. i will tell you some of my partners when we went into this I told them they had to buy me things, some things I would not buy for myself. <laughs> yeah. And so those are pretty big things that yeah. I put on them. I'm like, because I'm about to change your life. Yeah. So you're going to thank me for it. Love and that. so we still joke about that yeah. and what will happen. But I will say um, the first thing that I'm going to do is um, sit <laughs> and I'm probably going to go find a space of green and water and just look up to the heavens Yeah. and thank God because there is, I've been able to enjoy peace. I've been able to, in this journey, despite the challenges I still can counter daily, um, I found joy and I'm just going to thank God for choosing me. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for your time. Love what you're doing. Uh, I love the journey. Love how you got there. Love how fast this has happened in, you know, in such a short period of time from 2018, but, you know, coming from wellness to now and, and, and your tenacity and just, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go and, and, and you're going to push through everything. Um, 
you know, you're not done yet, which that's the thing that I'm excited about. Cause just sitting oh, yeah, down no, with you, there's, like there's so much more to come. And I, I mean, like, ultimately I'm going to open tingling, health and wellness you know? clinics, yeah. Utopia health and wellness. Yeah. That was, that's my ultimate for me personally. Yeah. I want Utopia health and wellness clinics that a person can go in mm-hmm. and they have an ailment and they can be treated with a plant solution yeah. and that it gives them the results that I've already seen given. Amazing. Sharina, thank you so much. For people listening, I'll post the links on the website and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.